0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska, that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please
1: visit www.thewellhastings.com. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Beginning in verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. for so much. But Peter said to her, "How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out." Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all
0: healed. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Amen? Um, let me pray. Father, my uh, prayer this morning is simple. That you would uh, come and speak to us. baffles me that you would... Uh, bring us to this passage today. And, uh, Lord, that you would use even a man like me as broken and as sinful as I am, knowing that there are parts and places of my heart that are deceptive. Come and preach a sermon, Father, in our midst. Lord, help us to feel a sense of healthy fear and awe, how serious you take the sin of deception. For us to see the work that you did at the cross in your Son Jesus. Path. I trust you to do this, and then some. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, "Amen."
1: So, at first glance, when you look at this text, it seems a little bit harsh, doesn't it? I mean. I don't know if anybody else feels the same kind of heat
0: from the passage that, boy, you walk out of here and tell a lie what could happen.
1: Text is pretty simple, right? Husband and wife, uh, Ann and Sapphira, they sell some stuff, and then they give some of those proceeds to the church. At the same time, they, they secretly keep the rest of those proceeds for themselves. And the problem in the text, sure, it's—I mean—it's easy to pick up on. The problem in the text is not so much that um, they didn't give all the proceeds of their sale necessarily to the church. That's not really necessarily the issue. The problem really is that they said they were giving all the proceeds, when in fact they only gave part of those proceeds. Um, they simply lied about how much they were giving. And as a consequence, uh, God struck them dead on the spot. Um, there is a video on, on, on YouTube, um, like a three-minute overview of the book of Acts, and I think the narrator of the video says uh, um, Ananias and Sapphira lied, and they were struck dead, and contributions skyrocketed, I think is the way he, he says it. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's true, but I think it's a terrible fundraising scheme for any ministry, if you ask me. Um, um, I, I, I am thankful that, um, <clears throat> that uh, seeing people sin and then calling them out for it and having them being struck dead is not in the list of spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives to us. Um, that would uh, most certainly be abused by imperfect humans like us. So the text does seem a little bit harsh until you, you read through it, you work your way through it a little bit more prayerfully. Um, First thing we see, right, Ananias lies, and then he dies. It's as simple as that. Verses 1 through 6, Luke, author, um, tells us that Ananias and Sapphira, that they hatch up this scheme. Um, They're going to sell some property. They're going to keep some of the proceeds from the sale for themselves. They're going to give the rest of the proceeds to the church. We need to remember, this is uh, following what happened in the tail end of chapter 4, where uh, a man named Joseph, who was called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, um, he sells a bunch of property and then gives all that money um, to the church. And uh, it appears as though Ananias Sapphira saw this and hatched up this scheme. Now, normally, a, a sizable financial gift um, such as this would have been received by any church leader um, with gratitude and joy, right? Peter though sees right through Ananias's rouge. He he asks him in verse three, look at what he asks him. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? The why question. Probably one of the hardest questions for us to ask when we are dealing with our sin. I think oftentimes we like to excuse our sin. You have to keep asking the why question. Why did you want to excuse it? So on, so you got to chase that sin down to its root. You're pulling weeds out of a garden. I grew up on a farm, and uh, my mom loved sending us outside with uh, these little steel scissors to uh, cut weeds she didn't believe in spending the expense on weed whackers or mowers for some reason i don't know if it was a disciplinary thing or what the deal was but i can tell you that even a good sharp pair of scissors when cutting out weeds makes it look good for just a little bit weeds always come back because the roots are left there (coughs) that's the why question peter's asking why? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds? of My encouragement to us is ask why, ask why again, ask why again. And keep asking why until you get to the root of what's going on deep down inside. Peter moves on and he explains uh, to Ananias the land um, that, that he had had, as well as, as the money from the sale, um, he could have done whatever he wanted to do with it. There, there was no policy anywhere stating that Ananias and Sapphira or anybody in the church at that point needed to give so much. He, he could have kept all of it and given nothing, but instead, what he did is he lied. Ananias and Sapphira both lied about how much they sold the land for. And this this causes Peter to ask a a question again in verse 4. He asks the why question again. He says, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? See how he's drilling down from the outward actions deep down into the desires of the heart. What did you really want, in a sense, is behind what he's asking. It's a good question for us to ask when we struggle with sin. What did you really want? He says, he goes, hey, you've not lied to man, but to God. But the reality is he did lie to men, right? And Peter's getting after uh, the point that the reality is that the worst sin that took place here is that he lied to God. And as soon as Peter speaks this, Ananias dies. He dies because of his lie. The young men in the church take his dead body away and they bury it. So again, you're you're reading this and it does sound a little bit harsh at first glance until you begin to realize that Ananias had done what? He'd listened to the voice of Satan. Who is Satan? He's he's the original master of deception, right? This is what Ananias had done. he listened to the voice of Satan. He had cold-heartedly made this plan. This was a premeditated plan. This wasn't something that was just in the moment he got caught off guard. Not that it would make it any less of a sin necessarily anyways. This is a premeditated plan. And his plan was to lie to the church. Why? Most scholars and commentators would say because of the way Luke arranged these stories with Barnabas giving his, now these guys giving theirs and lying about it. Most scholars and commentators would say that they most likely hatched up this plan so they could look good. But Barnabas looked good. Barnabas was doing what a leader should do. hes leading by example. And now Ananias and Sapphira step in, and they want to look just like him, and so they pretend to be something they're not. Have you ever been guilty of that, pretending to be something you're not? You know, I walked up here this morning and saw Ryan back here, and we're joking about the cross. We'll tell that story another time. You don't joke about the cross, okay? there. Um, now that I said that, Ryan had, uh, Ryan and Sydney. if you don't know them, we, <clears throat> when we caught up this last week, and he said, you know, you ever notice how the cross behind you
0: looks like beef jerky? <laughs> yeah, it does. So we're talking about, you know,
1: marrying two things that I love a lot, the cross of Jesus and food <laughs> together. Like, wow, this is We're going to get beef jerky and tie them together with strings and hand them out as a subliminal message
0: that you should love beef jerky. Beef jerky saves. It's the meat of the gospel. Um, Now that I got that done, so that you don't think that we were joking about the cross for real, uh, as I'm walking by Ryan,
1: I say, Ryan, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Oh, Am I really fine this morning? I mean, this is a really low hanging illustration for all of us, right? And we, we, we practice this. And we get used to practicing this level of
0: making ourselves look better than we really are. <laughs> what are we laughing at? <laughs> that was not that funny.
1: Beef jerky. Oh, I, it took me a moment because I'm like, "Okay, I, that was that was not the greatest joke on the face of the book. I've never gotten that many laughs off a joke, <laughs> but I will say it does feel really good feel good to laugh though. <laughs> so, thanks, Jack, Jack, Jack. In the quit jacking around, Jack. <laughs> Gosh, uh, yeah, yep. Beef jerky. We're gonna start handing that out here pretty soon. How often do you try to make yourself look better than you really are? At some levels, we all buy into this uh, deception thing. We're all kind of infected with it, aren't we? Um, And and deception is not not a light thing to deal with. It's not an easy thing to deal with, right? We, We often kind of dupe ourselves, right, a form of deception. We deceive ourselves into thinking that our patterns of deception are no more than little white lies, don't we? Um... We deceive ourselves into thinking that our little white lies will somehow benefit us. Uh, we, we think that those little white lies will maybe protect others from seeing us as we really are. It reminds me of the garden when Adam and Eve realized they were naked and they became ashamed and tried to hide themselves behind some fig leaves of their own making we have our own ways of stitching together fig leaves today that so people don't really see what's inside of us, don't we?
0: The reality is that, that deception is uh, hideously infectious. It's destructive,
1: not, not just for us, but, but for all around us. This is the teaching about sin anyway.
0: Sin is something that plates the whole loaf. Catching. there's no mask that will save us from that. So
1: but deception can be like a nasty virus that gets other people sick too. And really, if you look at the story, you kind of think of it in that context. This is what happens with Ananias' wife, Sapphira. Second portion of the text, right? What, is, what happens with Sapphira? Well, just like Ananias, she lies and then she dies too. Verses 7-10, through 10, what does Luke tell us? It tells us that a few hours after Ananias is buried, his, his wife comes looking for him. Luke specifically tells us in verse 7, not knowing what had happened. She had no clue. And when I read that, it's, it's difficult for me to get the concept that she really had no clue. I'm not calling it to question the, the truth of the text. I'm not calling to question that at all. I'm just saying it's, it's hard for me to put myself there. And we live in a day and age where information transfer And download is so quick and easy that to me, when I read this, it's like, wow. She didn't didn't know what happened three hours later. Most that I can figure here is that hardly anyone did know that her husband had died. Or they just didn't want to tell her. So when Peter asks her how much money they had sold the land for, what does she do? She sticks to the story, which fascinates me. She sticks to the story. Becomes culpable for her own part in the deception. You've got to remember that, that even though it seems like this uh, deceptive plan, and I think it did, the way the text is written, the way the story is told, this plan began in Ananias' heart.
0: But even though it began there, even though he's the one that proposed it, the leader of the home, right? The guy who's going to be responsible.
1: Sapphira is not responsible for his sin. And this is why Peter says in verse 9, hey, how is it, he asks this question, how is it that you have agreed together? I'll come back to that word agreed in a minute. How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Of course, we know what happens, right? We know the rest of the story. Sapphira dies because she lied to God along with her husband. Now they're both lying side by side under six feet of dirt. Ananias and Sapphira, together forever,
0: recorded
1: in the words of Scripture as deceivers who died within hours of each other
0: and now buried side by side because of their premeditated lies. This word, Agreed. In verse 9, I find it fascinating, but I also find it
1: horrifying that Peter uses that word. I find it fascinating and, and and horrifying because it's almost as though maybe Peter is a little bit shocked. Maybe he's a little bit shocked that Sapphira would agree to practice this kind of deception with her husband. But maybe she was afraid to stand up to him, or maybe she was intoxicated by the thought of how much attention she would Get for giving such a large financial gift to the church, possible? Either way, she could have disagreed. That's the really
0: strong implication of the text. She could have disagreed. She could have stood up against his deception,
1: right? What could have happened had she stood up against her husband's deception, her husband's sin, her husband's lies? She could have stood up against that. Maybe he would have repented. Maybe they would have lived long and prosperous lives. Maybe the story that was written about them in the scriptures would have looked different. That's not the way the story went Went along with it. She practiced premeditated deception just like her husband. She paid the same price for her own lies, not for his. When I think about this, I think about how tantalizing, how infectious, and how destructive the sin of deception actually is. Think about it. We think with deception that we somehow make ourselves look better when we withhold the naked truth, right? We might even have rules um, that we've set up inside of our lives, which probably aren't very biblical, Um, I'm more humanistic, or we talk about, well, you know, with with some people, I'm going to be authentic, share kind of bits and pieces. With other people, I'm going to be more transparent. I say humanistic not to use that in a negative way, because I also understand there's some boundaries. Um, You want to be careful who you share all of your naked truth with. That's true. Yet, sometimes we do this to make ourselves look better. Um, I think we deceive ourselves into believing that when we withhold the truth, we are actually protecting other people around us. And the reality is when we say that, even that's a lie. Because the reality is we're only protecting ourselves. That's really all we're after. We're protecting ourselves from others seeing the shame and the guilt that we feel. I want you to chase this with me for a minute. Uh, in, in a couple different directions. You think about what this way of thinking, this way of life, this deceptive way of life. Think about the kind of results that this way of life maybe produces in your relationship with God.
0: Okay? Think with me about God for a minute. He knows everything. We know this. But I don't think we believe
1: this. Catch, my di- catch, catch the differentiation? Like, we know this, but we don't believe this. It's the heart level belief that's the issue. It's why this was hatched up in Ananias' heart to begin with. He knows everything, but you try to withhold the truth of your sin from him.
0: Or you try to minimize your sin. That's not, not as bad as it seems. Or you try to... Um,
1: even try to minimize what God's word says about your sin. Well, you know, I, that sin, culturally speaking, see how we, we make the jump to, we start to minimize what God's word says. Does this take you back to the garden once again? It, wasn't it the snake, the serpent, the deceiver, Satan,
0: the master of deception in the garden who said, did God's word really say that? I think we do that, we minimize. Uh, We also, here's
1: another tactic, I'm sure that you know what this is like, and I'm guilty of this, guilty of all of it, just say that now in case you're wondering, guilty of all of it, certain, and not like I'm guilty of all of that like five years ago before I got holy enough to preach,
0: more like I was probably guilty of that five minutes ago, okay, easily, even within my own mind.
1: So think about this other, you exaggerate, right? Not that we just minimize, we also try to make things look bigger. We, we try to exaggerate what? Other people's sin? Or we try to exaggerate our own righteousness? And, and I think the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we get Christian language around it, which makes it really, really difficult to see. It becomes really, really elusive.
0: Because you get a spiritual, religious language for what we do. exaggerate
1: other people's sin, exaggerate our own righteousness. What happens in our relationship with God then, in the midst of that? What do we do? We eventually wind up living in a world full of lies. Lies upon lies upon lies to cover more lies. Most of you know parts of my story at least, and grew up uh, in a home where my dad left when I was five, and um, thankfully years later, my dad started following the Lord, and he's partly responsible for my walk with the Lord today, but my mom Uh, My mom passed away, was it been nine, eight, nine years ago? Um, But growing up with my mom, she just, she bounced from one guy to the next. Um, And one of the guys that she dated was this guy named Paul, not like the Apostle Paul. Um, Paul had had a lot of meth issues in his life, um, and uh, there was, Paul had a lot of issues, but the major issue that Paul had was every word that came out of his mouth was a lie. And uh, you didn't have to be in a room very long with him to find out that that was true. And the crazy thing was he believed his own lies. They call that like a pathological liar. Somebody who's gotten so good at their own lies that they believe their own deceptive plans. That's a tough place to be.
0: But in some regard, aren't, aren't we all
1: infected with at least a touch of that? If not more than a touch, or to maybe be honest. This is what happens in your relationship with God. You, you wind up, I mean, I mean, this guy Paul, his relationship with my mom was so weird. It was like, he would, out of one side of his mouth, he'd be like, oh, baby, you're so beautiful. I love you so much. I'll take care of you forever. And then he'd go to the three or four other women he had on the side. And he, just, he just believed it. Remember, he broke into our house one time, stole my mom's lockbox, and then when she found it, um, and she found him with it, he claimed that I stole it and gave it to him for some money and he believed it, he wouldn't let it go. He just,
0: in relationship
1: even at that point, it, he just could not shake it. And I, there's, a, there's an image of that for us. That we, I talk about spiritual blindness. The difference between spiritual blindness and human blindness is that humans know when they're humanly blind, but spiritually blind people don't even know if they're spiritually blind. Spiritual deception is the same thing. It's part of, it's all wrapped up together. And not it kind of make you feel a little bit hopeless when you think about this? Doesn't it kind of make you question, like, oh my gosh, is reality <laughs> shaking underneath of me? Um, I want you to imagine um, a little bit further how infectious and destructive this kind of thing can be on a marriage. Or, or a family. Or, or your business. Right? Or, or maybe an entire society. Or even a church such as ours. Or a church such as the one that we're reading about that is just barely getting its feet on the ground, right? To have a church that that, that would be trying to remain faithful to God but then infected from the get-go with this kind of spiritual deception, you might say. (coughs) If this deception in the text had not been brought out into light the church would have been infected with lies from the get go and would have been headed towards certain death why because we know that when sin and desire get together what what kind of baby do they have death so 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 the church would have been infected with this hey i want to show off and pretend like i'm somebody that i'm not kind of a hypocrisy It would not have been confronted, would not have been brought out into the light, would have been headed towards certain death because it would have been infected by who? Not the spirit of the living God, but it would have been infected by Satan, who is the father of lies, according to John chapter 8. Thankfully, that's not how the story goes. So now it's almost like we're starting to say, okay, maybe, maybe the story doesn't sound so harsh when you're thinking about the narrative of what God is up to. So you look at the third chunk of this, verses 11 through 16, you see that the church just continues to flourish and grow, right? Luke describes how the church not only reacts to the supernatural deaths of two deceivers, but also how it continues to grow in the midst of that. And the reaction of the church to the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira is this, the church is filled with great fear, Luke emphasizes that twice in the text, once in verse 5 and once in verse 11. Emphasizes that twice. There's a a great fear, you could say a healthy sense of fear in light of how serious God takes the sin of spiritual deception. Takes this seriously. And so then you you take that undercurrent of of a healthy fear or a healthy awe of God. And God continues to do miraculous signs and wonders through the apostles. I saw this picture on Facebook that says the difference between religion and relationship is this. In religion, you say, oh crap, I sinned. I need to hide from my dad. And relationship says, oh crap, I sinned. Where's my daddy? Do you know, do you know that the, the translation, or, or the, I say translation, but the journey between those two poles... I, I think that encompasses just a major part of the Christian life.
0: Just being able to say, yeah, I did what I'm prone to do. I just need to go find my dad. Let him help me get this figured out, straightened out. God continues to do signs and wonders through the apostles.
1: More than ever, Text says more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. More than ever, I don't know. I don't think he's exaggerating, but more than ever seems like a crazy phrase when you think about the day of Pentecost, where a thousand were saved. Already read in chapter two how believers are being added daily. It seems like, and in just previously in chapter four, recently how they were added daily. It seems like, or day by day, meaning daily, right? More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Not only from Jerusalem, right? But also from the surrounding communities. Which, once again, when you look at this and you see the picture, what you're seeing is you're seeing what Jesus said was going to happen in the church as the Holy Spirit comes down, fills believers, and they become His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The the puddles in the pond as the rock of the gospel has been tossed in are just spreading. And nothing can stop it.
0: Nothing that can stop it. Not even Satan. Sick are being healed. Demon-possessed are being set free to follow God.
1: Freedom. And I think when you you think about this and when you read it, I think what we get is we get this picture that, that when the church stands in fear, And I say fear, a healthy fear, in awe of God's holiness and his willingness to do whatever it takes to deal with the problem of sin. In this case, the consequences were two people died, literally, for it. In the case of the gospel, his one and only son died for it.
0: He takes sin very, very seriously. And what
1: happens as the church here stands in fear and awe of God's holiness and his willingness to deal with our sin? Which seems countercultural for sure, because I think the gospel is countercultural, right? The, the culture around us that we, what we, that we walk around in wants us to, again, minimize and exaggerate and pretend like it's not as bad as it really is.
0: And churches all over the place do this, churches, right? There are some.
1: And so the way of the culture is to do that, and not necessarily to speak authentically and truthfully about our sin. That's countercultural. What happens is when, when the church stands in fear and awe of God's holiness and his willingness to deal with our sin head on, in the cross of Christ, it's, it's, I think it's like a cleansing fire kind of sweeps through the church. And the Spirit does what He does best in that kind of a context. What does He do? He saves the lost,
0: He heals the sick, He sets the captives free, and He grows His church. Isn't that fascinating?
1: It doesn't seem like as harsh of a text anymore when you think about it. It's still harsh. It makes us pause and go, hmm. I need to evaluate what's going on inside of my heart. Is
0: there any deception there? If there is, why? Why, why, why? In conclusion, I think it's important for us to notice that what Satan
1: meant for evil in the early church through a married couple who were (coughs) tangled up in their deceptive lies, God actually meant for good in the church. I don't, I don't think there's ever been another story quite like this in the history of the church. Otherwise, one commentator put it, um, churches would need to hire full-time morticians for their pastoral staff. <laughs> and uh, ushers would have a different job description. Ushers would become pallbearers. And church graveyards would take on a less
0: familial feeling. <laughs> or of a mob feeling. (laughs) And
1: we got a graveyard out back for you. If you look throughout scriptures, and I just handpicked just a couple that came to my mind quickly, there are stories of deceivers throughout the Bible, right? Jacob um, has been called the deceiver. Why? Because he deceived his father to steal his brother's birthright. Uh, David, you might not initially think of David, but I often think of David, he deceived his friend. And he murdered him. (laughs) to cover up his sin of sleeping with his friend's wife. Still wrote lots of scripture. Uh, Rahab. uh, Rahab was a prostitute, right? In the book of Joshua, lied to protect Joshua's spies. Although that one is kind of a redeemable story. Uh, Judas. Judas is probably the one that I remember a lot too. Judas practiced deception when he betrayed Jesus. And I always like to say there's a little bit of Judas in every one of us, isn't there? And I always like to say, too, I'm sure you've noticed this, Jesus obviously knew everything about Judas. He still washed his feet. And there are definitely arguments as to whether he uh, ate the Lord's Supper or not. Um, Biblical evidence seems pretty strong to me that there's a strong possibility that he did eat the Lord's Supper. That he didn't send him out of there before that happened. Strong possibility, and if that's true, but
0: that might tell us a bit about even how we approach the communion table together. Jesus knowing everything.
1: But I do think there's a little bit of Judas probably in every one of us. And then you got Ananias and Sapphira, right? Practice deception, they die as a consequence. I also think it's probably true, and I was fascinated to come across, it's probably true that not many preachers want to preach this text. Um, as far as anybody can tell, the great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon... As far as we can tell, never preached on this text. Which baffles me, because I think that dude's a great preacher. Um, maybe he did, and it just got lost, and it'll come out as a lost sermon of Spurgeon someday. But there's not a lot of, not a lot of preaching on this text. Um, I do think that it's namely because I think any preacher worth his salt. Which, I don't think me saying this means I'm worth my salt. So, I'm mean, going to look at the words that I wrote down, and just contemplating how... This even comes across, but I think any preacher worth his salt is going to recognize that every one of us, not every one of you, but every one of us, preachers included, um, we're guilty of deception at one level or another, right? I I think I can say it this way. Every time a saint sins, he or she practices some level of deception for some period of time at least. I think we're all guilty of this. It's as though every one of us loses a sense of a healthy fear or a healthy awe of God. Every time we surrender to the deceptive voice of sin. So every sin we commit is wrapped up in deception at some level. I think. I think we can make that case. And yet, the beauty and the good news for us is just this. That God in his infinite grace, God in his unparalleled patience, and I say unparalleled because... If one of my children lies to me, I have a tendency to get frustrated. <coughs> I don't think I emulate God's patience as well all the time, do I?
0: No. Thank you for your honesty. It's not premeditated. I don't think. But God, in his infinite grace, his unparalleled patience, man, he, he bears with us. He
1: gives us every opportunity to hear and to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit for our deception and our sin, doesn't he? And then what he does is he reminds us of the cross of Jesus. So so that in those moments we can confess our sin, we can repent, we, we can trust again. And repentance, again, is not a destination this side of heaven. It's a journey this side of heaven. The end of repentance
0: ends when you're in the arms of Jesus in heaven. It's an opportunity for us to repent, to trust in
1: the work of a crucified, risen, and returning Savior. That's really when we read these texts, that's what it is. It's an opportunity again. And we get to trust in Him who is what? He, he is the way, truth, and the life. And then, and then what happens is, once you and I have responded to, to the Spirit's conviction by confessing that sin, confessing our faith once again in Christ, then we are what? We're set free, right? The chains are taken away, the, the jail cell is open. You don't have to live in that darkness of deception anymore. You get to walk, the door's been open all the whole time, anyways, because Jesus took the keys at the cross. And so now you just get to walk through that door out into the light of of, of the shining of the Son of God. And you get to walk in freedom now. It's so much better than walking in the darkness of deception. In those moments, we're set free to do what? We can speak the unvarnished truth to one another. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, deception lies. Pretending, exaggerating, minimizing. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, meaning other believers. Why? He says, for we are members of one another. We're members of the body of Christ. The moment that we trust in Jesus, we are like integrated into him, just like a husband and wife become one flesh. We are united to him his life, his death, and his resurrection. And in that same way, as believers who all have the same Holy Spirit, we are united to each other. And there's local contexts like us sitting in this room, right? And there's many all across our city and all across the world that when you get in the same room with one of them you don't even know, you might find that you feel or you sense that I actually do kind of know you. We're connected somehow. And you're, you're connected because you have the same Holy Spirit living inside of you. So he says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We're we're, we're attached to each other. Deception leads to bondage and death. Not only individually, but also corporately,
0: familially, it affects families. Leads to bondage, leads to death, but truth sets us free. I think the scripture says that point-blankly. But know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The
1: truth leads to freedom and everlasting life. And when you draw close to Jesus, here's what's happening. When you draw close to Jesus, you're drawing close to the author of truth, embodied in human flesh, who took his place on the cross for us. And the more you draw close to him, the more you draw close to the foot of a bloody cross, the more you draw close to the the power of that doorway of an empty tomb, and the more that you look to heaven and you ponder and hold on to the promise of eternity with your Father, the more that you do that, the more you walk out of the darkness of deception and sin
0: and into the light of the truth that would then set you free to grow for all of eternity. Father, thank you for your word. And as we close,
1: God, pray that your spirit would be just powerfully present among us. Help us to turn our hearts to you in both uh, confession
0: and repentance and trust. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from the well